Okay, uh, John 20, verse 19. Then the same day at the evening, being the first day of the week, when the door was shut where the disciples were assembling for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Colossians 3:15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. And finally, Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm assuming you all picked up on a little hint in those five or six passages. And it just so happens to be that's our theme for the second Sunday in Advent. And that is? Very good. Okay. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. A common greeting in Hebrew, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but is shalom, alakem, and the reply is alakem shalom. So say that with me. If I say shalom, alakem, you say alakem shalom. I'm sure Dan would give us a little bit more on exactly what we're saying there, but I think for now we'll just kind of leave it at uh, peace. <laughs> okay, we're going to look at three things today, which I kind of refer to as perspectives of peace. The first is a spiritual perspective, and that is peace with God. The second is a relational perspective, and that is, that is peace with others. The third is internal, and that is peace within ourselves. So you may have heard some people refer to our current time, the period where we're existing right now, as an age of overt anxiety. Worry has been termed the official emotion of the current generation. So think about that for a second. Worry is the official emotion of the generation. And we're all familiar with that, the official of something. There's the official soft drink. There's the official beer. There's the official, you know, every, every entity, whether it be a sports team or uh, an influencer, has an official so we're, we're all very used to hearing that. Another thing that says, that's said today is that worry is the basis of all of our neuroses, which I think is another educational influenced way of saying we worry, we drive ourselves nuts. Worry is also said to be 
the most pervasive psychological problem of our time. It's a nice way of saying we all worry about everything, and when we're not worrying about something, we're worrying why we're not worrying about something. So it's in this world today, as we get ready for Christmas, Christians during this time of year talk and sing and dream and preach about peace on earth. In an age of anxiety, how is that we can come today and celebrate? Well, it's actually a very easy question. We can because we can celebrate because it's all because of a child being born in a stable on a still and silent night. Angels proclaimed the peace of, on earth because the Prince of Peace had come. Now, Amy read, or I'm sorry, uh, Noah read from the Old Testament message from the prophet Micah. Long ago, Micah prophesied of Jesus' coming, declaring that this child of Bethlehem would be our peace. Maybe the holidays for you have so far been anything but peaceful. So far, if you need to step out of the shopping malls, out of the office parties, out of the overtime, that you're going to need to pay for all the things that we're buying. And we gather once again with your family around the cradle in the manger of the child who brings us peace. Earlier we said there are several perspectives of aspects of the peace which this little baby brings to us. The first of those is the child of Christmas brings peace with God. This is the one true message of the holidays which is the basis for everything we do and say. Not just at the holiday, but all the time. So let me say that once more time. This is the one true message, which is the basis for everything we do when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Paul tells us in Ephesians, speaking about the time of Christ, at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from, common, from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He who has made both Gentile and Jew one, and with God, it's obvious that without Christ, we are not at peace with God. In fact, without the child of peace, we are actually at war with God. For he, Christ, Himself is our peace. 
In this context, the scriptures give one of the most solemn yet definite teachings. The Bible declares plainly that without Christ, we are without God's promises, that without Christ, we are without hope, that without Christ, we are without God, and again, that without Christ, we are lost, and that loss is forever. So how does the world out there respond to this teaching today? I think it usually goes something like this. Do you mean to say that all these outside the church have no hope whatsoever? What about all the sincere people who never come to Christ during their life? What about all the billions of people in the world, the Muslims, the Buddhists, the Hindus? What of people who have never heard the story of Jesus? What of my neighbors and friends who are really good people, but who have never given their hearts to Christ? Are you guys, Christians, are you saying they're all lost? Then they get testy and they say things like, well, if that's true, then the message of Christmas has made you Christians the most narrow-minded, bigoted people on the face of the earth. You ever hear anything like that? Sound a little familiar? How are we supposed to respond to that? We get mad? I think one way we can respond is by saying something along the lines of, in my experience, Christians are not narrow-minded or bigoted. Christians are loving because we declare the truth to the world. Because of sin, all are without hope without God. But Jesus is the solution. The child of Christmas brings peace with God. The only way for peace is through Christ's victory on the cross. Period. And that's because God justly punishes sin and mercifully pardons the sinners only because of the cross do we find that which brings peace. He, Jesus, is that peace, and more importantly, he is our peace. This isn't narrow or bigoted. It's just the truth. This is the season of peace because the child of Christmas brings its peace with God, brings us peace with God. This child of Christmas also brings us peace with others. For many, many years, there was a silver star that hung over the manger in Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. The Eastern Orthodox churchmen 
wanted to replace the star with one of their own. You may have seen an Eastern Orthodox cross looks different than our, our Western cross. So they wanted to replace it with one of their own. The Roman Catholics rejected the idea. The Orthodox community was backed by the Russians. And the Western, well, I'll call it, uh, community was backed by France. When Turkey, who at that time was responsible and had jurisdiction over Palestine, sided with the French, the Russians, the Russians declared war on Turkey, Great Britain, France, and Italy. All those countries rallied to the side of Turkey. For three long years, from 1853 to 1856, we had the Crimean War, and it raged. And for that time, at that time, it was one of the most violent conflicts the world had ever experienced. Unfortunately, it wasn't too long until we get to the First World War where it, war gets even worse, more violent. Okay, 10 years after the war, so we're now we're at 1866. Civil War in America has just ended. The Silver Star was finally permanently removed from the site. So all that carnage, all that death, all that world conflict was finally eliminated by, eliminated by simply just taking down that star. It's been estimated that only 8% of recorded history has been during peacetime. 8%. I hate math, but that's not very much. Of the last 3,000 years, only 300 years have supposedly been without war. And over that same 300 years, 8,000 treaties have been negotiated and broken. In our nation, few years have been peaceful since World War II. Not just with wars, but just within our people, within our country. Every day we read the headlines and wonder, where is the peace promised by the child of Christmas? The Bible teaches us that the time of ultimate peace is coming in the future when Christ will return to the earth. But his peace is a present reality in his church and can be increasing in his church 
by the actions of us. Paul tells us in Ephesians, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two, that's Jew and non-Jew, one and has destroyed the barrier between them. The dividing wall of hostility by absolving, uh, I'm sorry, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its rules and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, out of the Gentile and the Jew, a new man, thus giving us peace and this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death the hostility between them. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and, te- and preached peace to those who were near. For through him all have access to the Father by one spirit. Therefore, there are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. If there is any place on this planet where men and women can live in harmony and peace with one another, it's got to be in the church. This must be our goal. This must be the reality we live out before the Lord every day. How will the world believe that Jesus brings us peace with God if we cannot live at peace with one another? Oh, we put on a pretty good show most of the time. There was a young Chinese man who was hired to be the housekeeper of a well-to-do family. And they had two teenage sons. The boys made it their mission to make life miserable for this poor fellow, their housekeeper. One day they nailed his shoes to the floor, but he just smiled and pulled out the nails. Another time they put a bucket of water over the door so when he'd open the door he'd get drenched. But the housekeeper just smiled. He dried himself off. He continued to show these teenagers the utmost respect. In fact, his courtesy made the boys feel so guilty that they eventually approached him one day and assured him they would reform. No more shoes nailed to the floor, he asked. No, the boys assured him. No more water over the door, he inquired. Nope, they replied. "Uh, Very good, he said. Then no more spit and soup. (laughs) Isn't that the way it is sometimes? We bicker and backbite and fight, put up a good front, and then we spit in the soup. We sour our relationships with people whom Christ holds dear. He holds all people dear. 
The message of Christmas is peace on earth. It is a message to God's people. Those who have received peace with God must live at peace with one another. If we fail in this, we deny the purpose of Christmas. The child of Christmas brings us peace with ourselves. Back again in Ephesians, Paul tells us, He, Jesus, is our peace. When Christ, through his sacrifice, makes us at peace with God and with others in his church, then and only then can we be at peace with ourselves. The Bible promises that when we set our minds and actions upon the things of God, and as Amy read, then and only then will the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, guide our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. That's from our reading this morning from Philippians. Isaiah told us almost 700 years before, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Some people would say, good approach. In theory, but how can I be at peace when all of life is crashing down around me? Billy Graham used to tell a story about a little bird. The sea was beating against the rocks along the shore in huge dashing waves. The lightning was flashing, the thunder was rolling, the wind was blowing. But this little bird was asleep in the crevice of the rock its head serenely under its wing, was sound asleep. Now that's peace. To be able to sleep in the storm. In Christ, we are at peace in the middle of the confusion, disorientations, and head-scratching of what goes on in this life. The storm rages, but our hearts are at rest. When Christ comes in, he stands against the winds and the storms and cries out, Peace, be still. If Christ is in our hearts, then we can be at peace. We find peace when we find him. He is our peace. St. Augustine said, Thou hast touched me, and I have been translated into thy peace. The key to being at peace is found in a personal relationship with Jesus. Not a Sunday go-to-meeting religion, but a personal relationship. Think about that for a second. The message of Christmas is, isn't narrow and bigoted. It's the truth. The only hope we have in this world is to allow Jesus to restore our lost relationship with God. Perhaps you've heard people say, many people were trying to make peace. But that has, been, that has already been done. It's been tried. But God has not left it for us to do. All we have to do is enter into it. 
by having that personal relationship and from it, peace with Jesus. Have you allowed him to change your heart? This is the only hope of the world which longs for peace. The only hope for our communities, the only hope for our lives, to allow Christ to remake our hearts. Ephesians reminds us, but now in Christ Jesus, you have once, I'm sorry, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. I want to switch gears briefly to talk a little bit about the situation in Israel. It's been weighing very heavily on my mind. And one of the reasons for that is I have uh, relatives that lived in the Middle East for a very long time. And with everything that's going on with anti-Semitism and how it's I mean, it's, it's so sad for me to say, but it's almost sounding like it's becoming a thing. You know, it's, it's something for people across all generations, not just youth. It's like a badge that, you know, they want to be out there. They want to be seen out there on campuses. And then when, you know, you look at, I mean, I just reading just the last couple days, the stuff that's coming out of so supposedly the preeminent universities of our country. I mean, it's beyond comprehension almost. So, I, you know, I think we're not fixing this, and we know that. But I think there's things that we can do through our actions and through our pocketbooks and our spending and our shopping. You know the companies and the organizations that are out there that are pro-anti-Semitic. We may not want to admit it, but we do. You know, look historically. Look at some of the names in our business environment history, whether they be company or people. Ford. I mean, that that's like mind-blowing to me when you think about how during the height of his business, how he acted. So I just, I just caution you to not be fooled in any way and to see what's going on and act appropriately.